0: This is The A, I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This you is The A. you not have music? Oh,
1: no, no, no. I pumped that in a little bit later on. Oh! See, I'm messing stuff up already. Don't worry about it. Uh, this is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All righty, and we are sponsored, as always, by Central Works, a new play theater headed up by Gary Graves and Jan Sleifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring the YA. and also our wonderful consulting producer, consulting producer uh, Mallory Samara. Thank you so much, Mallory, for all that you do for the Yay. And we have a wonderful guest, a guest that none of us know. Uh, you know, usually I know a guest or Norman knows a guest. Mm-hmm. But I went online and I saw that someone had won or is a finalist for the 10th Annual National Jewish Playwriting Contest. It's a first wow. play that she's written. She wrote it when she was in college and already she's being recognized. And she is our guest, Molly Funny. Alice Crossed. Hello. Alice Frost, how are Hello. you?
2: I'm, I'm doing good. How are you both? You don't look Jewish. <laughs> That's what the whole play is about. <laughs> <laughs> What does a Jew look like?
1: I have a black friend who's Jewish. And I'm like, well, <laughs> she don't, totally doesn't look Jewish. Your are friends with Sammy
0: Davis Jr.
1: <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. Um, yeah, your play is What We Found. And I just, it's on Vimeo and I have a link to it, but uh, I just took a brief look, but it sounds like an individual has died. And I guess uh, there are siblings who are looking through or looking through, I guess, the, the remnants of the individual who passed away. Is that Sort of the substance. Yeah, that's that's
2: pretty much the like the setup of it is like these cousins have gathered together and two of them are mixed race and Jewish. One of them is Asian and Jewish. One of them is Black and Jewish. And they're trying to go through like their family home because they're trying to sort out who owns the home, who in the family it's going to, and all of that. When a cousin kind of from their like more uh, estranged side of the family who had identifies as white, had no idea they were Jewish, like shows up and like wants all this insight into their family history. And it kind of like is a lot about these three cousins trying to navigate what does it mean to be Jewish and like how do you define your identity and especially within family where everyone feels and looks different, which was kind of based a lot of in my experience being Filipino and Jewish and not really feeling like I looked either.
1: <laughs> mm. Wow, that is interesting. And and the very fact that you are Filipino and Jewish. Obviously, our good friend, uh, Jeannie Baroga, she's writing a book on the Philippine experience. And we uh, she she's using uh, the yay as reference. And, you know, we can actually um, introduce you to her because I'm sure she can uh, use your experience. Um, and we'll talk more about that. Yeah. As I begin uh, every podcast, Norman, how's your week?
0: I have no idea. Oh, geez. <laughs> No, I, I, I shoot. While we're doing this, I will probably uh, sign up to go get tested because I have to be t- tested every week uh, for this teaching gig that I have. And I forgot to do it yesterday. And I'm like, oh,
1: crap. Tested for COVID.
0: Yeah. Tested for COVID. Even um, though You're
1: vaccinated. You're fully vaccinated, right?
0: I am fully vaccinated. The school requires everybody who is coming on campus unless you just stay in your car. You know, the parents <laughs> dropping off and picking up don't have to. But everybody else, if you're getting out of your car. You have to be tested. Um, And up until last week, they were doing um, temperature, too. They finally decided they don't need to do that anymore. But we're still masked and we're still taking temperatures. So, yeah, I got to get that done. Um, The biggest thing in my week was I've been doing a sculpture uh, class all, all spring. As a model, right? As a model. And that's over now. I am now officially done with that um i should you know the thing is i do this on my laptop i have photos on my phone i'll see if i can get a photo yeah. up and share yeah, people it
1: people like to i mean obviously the non because sometimes you post na- pose naked and although it's a portrait of a i mean it's these a, aren't naked. a naked person no nope,
0: okay. no. this was a what they called a portrait and i don't know why it's a portrait when you're sculpting it but i always heard that called a bust but maybe they don't <laughs> like that word i don't know yeah uh, but there's one that is that and then there's one that is standing full figure that one, I didn't spend as much time on, but it's hard work. And yeah. anyway, it's done. So that's that's my big news for the week. That now, is that is that good news or bad news? Because that's no revenue for you, right? Um. Well, yeah. The last couple of checks will trickle in, and that'll be that. Um, I, I think it's good news. I mean, well, it I frees a you long out. time ago started identifying as a working artist, and I include everything that is connected to the arts. So. In that sense, it's like any art project at a certain point, you have to say it's done (laughs) and you got to move on. And so there's a little bit of sadness about that, but there's also the there's the joy of not having to stand for with breaks three hours at a time. Yeah, that,
1: no, I hear that's you. No fun. <laughs> and Mara, I'm sure Mara's happy because she can spend more time with you.
0: Uh, Mara, no, Mara's no, you, Jewish you as well. You no don't understand how marriage works. <laughs> <and especially laughs> hey, marriage I'm, COVID. I, I Hey, Everything I've been a long, long, long back. I actually need excuses for getting out. So that's the other great news is that the alley is open again. So I got to go back there this weekend for yeah, my second go. time. Molly. I went on the first. I went on opening night, and I'm now making it my regular. If I don't have something else Thursday night, I'm going to drop into the alley. There um, every do you, night, mo- but Tuesdays and Wednesdays so far. Mo-
1: Molly, do you know anything about the uh, the alley? That's uh, it's a piano bar, and it's on wow. um in Oakland on uh, Grand Avenue. Grand. Grand Avenue, yep.
2: Oh, I'm no. That sounds like sort of familiar. It's been a while since I lived in the East Bay. I've been in Daly City for a long time, ah. so I haven't mm-hmm. haven't found myself in the East Bay as much anymore.
1: Do they have any uh, like karaoke or um, piano bars in Daly City? It's been a while.
2: Go ahead. I think there's karaoke bars, but not really like like a good old piano bar, at least not that I've found
0: few piano bars. There's one in Pacifica and there Mm. might be one in there might still be one in San Francisco, but there was one that was a regular one and that. I think that shut down with covid. Yeah. Yeah. I think so.
1: Um, there've been a couple of, it's funny that you mentioned about the whole school thing because all through the country, I mean, getting into current events, um, there's been a lot of just protesting. There was a woman, um, I forget, I think it's in Texas, but, um, you know, schools are trying to open, but of course there's still the COVID restrictions and of course, children are still not vaccinated. And I think, uh, Pfizer and also Moderna are testing their, um, The vaccines to make sure that it's safe for kids but of course parents are flipping out and they're like hey you know i want my kid to go to school really they probably just want to not take care of their kids at home (laughs) anymore so they can either go to work or whatever and it's gotten really really i mean one woman was called a communist and uh was you know she was chinese american and Mm -hmm. she was called out and it's gotten really really ugly so there's that going on. There's, Liz- well, there's,
0: that, there's a teacher who, or principal, I think, who said, sent out the message that you should stay away from everybody who's been vaccinated because they will shed the virus on you. Oh, for goodness sake. And they told their teachers that they could not be vaccinated. That, uh, that's just ridiculous. Molly,
1: yep. how are you, how are you dealing with the, uh, I guess the age of COVID? Are, are you vaccinated and uh, have you had to deal with any uh, craziness?
2: I am. I'm I'm vaccinated. I got the Johnson and Johnson shot like a month ago. Yeah. I got it on a Friday and then on a Monday they stopped it. (laughs) Oh right. (laughs) Now were you? That must have
0: been a weird week when it's like, oh, wait a minute, but I just got this. What are you talking about? Yeah.
1: So were were you worried? I mean, are you I mean, do do you feel confident that you you're healthy?
2: Yeah, I feel pretty confident. I'm out of the like the zone where they like said. That you're more at risk but yeah it was wild on monday to wake up to like a bunch of texts from my family being like because i was the only one in my family who got the johnson and johnson shots so i had all these texts from like all my family members being like is this the one you got like are you okay you better watch out it's, like that's <laughs> not that doesn't help me right <laughs> like, i can't control what my body's gonna do it's gonna do it or it's not gonna do its thing
1: right and, and you know it's funny at my work they have this uh, um this um, there's an app that you have to log into, and they say, "Were you in contact with anyone who has COVID?" And it's like, well, you know, if I'm sitting on a BART, or you know, if I'm, yeah. how do I know who,
0: <laughs> who yeah. hasn't,
1: who doesn't have it? So it's a little crazy. But I'm I'm hoping that I know board...
0: filling that thing out. I have to fill it out every week, and I'm like, and and with all <laughs> the modeling jobs I've done a bunch live. So when you asked about the money, I was like, um, actually, I just did a, I did a bunch, and there's other modeling gigs coming. But every day you go on campus, you have to fill it out. And it's like, have you been around anybody who has it? Uh, yes, because Probably, right now yeah. it's around us. Yeah. That's what people don't recognize. It is around us right now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just. I mean, I'm hoping that as time
1: goes on, it'll be just like the cold or the flu or something like that, and you just take a oh, yeah. a, a yearly shoot a shot. Mm-hmm. Sorry, and uh, then. We won't worry about it as much. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I still feel bad for the folks in India, and now it's spreading to other countries surrounding India. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's yeah. gotten very, very bad there. Um, the Chauvin case. So, uh, oh goodness. So, okay, so Derek Chauvin was convicted. Oh yeah. But there was a juror who wore a get your get your knees on our next t get your knees off our next t-shirt. Right. Uh, maybe a year prior to being called as a juror, and that may be grounds for an appeal for the case to be thrown out. So we'll have to see what the appellate court says about that. Right. Uh, so I'm a little worried about that. There's the Liz Cheney thing. Liz Cheney is, you know, sort of a GOP, uh, a Republican that I can respect. She's number because, three. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Republicans are trying to get rid of her because they're still in this uh, Donald Trump cult, which is a little yep. crazy. Yep. Um, a four, Here's a fun one. I always try to get a fun one in a four year old boy from New York ordered $3,000 worth of Spongebob popsicles <laughs> from her mom's, from his mom's Amazon account. <laughs> so um, I, that I
0: even happen?
1: <laughs> Well, Hey, listen, you know, these, you know, they make it so easy to make an order. Like, you know, like now, you know, I, I received a new, um, not a new Apple card. I bank with the San Francisco police credit union. And they gave me a card and they're like, you know, you don't even need to swap. You can just tap it. And of course, with the, um, the, apple card you don't even need the card at all you just have your phone so it's so easy to make an order to hit a button or whatever that a child can do it and a child did do it <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to the tune of three thousand dollars um so i i don't know i just found that to be fun um That's basically it. And also, I wanted to give a shout out to Kimberly Ridgeway. Um, We have a playwright here, um, uh, Molly, but also Kimberly is also a playwright. We've talked to her about her at nauseum. She is one of the winners of the 2021 Fade to Black Play Festival in Houston, Texas. Uh, She wrote a play called The Contract. And uh, she will be uh, rewarded. Uh, I think uh, there's a festival going on in January of 2022 where she oh, wow. will be um, recognized. And I think it's one of the great things about San Francisco, um, the uh, SF Playground. And Molly, if you don't know about Playground, you really should because not oh, only yeah. as, as – a oh, you do.
2: Oh. Yeah, this I've been in Playground. This is my third year now. Yeah, Fantastic!
0: Yeah. Y'all, wow. are, y'all are, are teammates and didn't even know it. <laughs> I know exactly,
1: and the cool thing for for those who are listening or who are watching Francisco playground not only sponsors or you know will focus on new playwrights, but they will also push uh, the plays that you write they'll connect you with other organizations throughout the United States where you can submit your plays. I think it's I forget what the um the repository is but um and, and I'll find out The National later.
0: play um, network.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The National Play Network. And uh, you could submit plays and throughout the United States, if your play is selected, if it's, um, you know, that you can be recognized and you can have your play produced in Maine, in Houston, Texas. And I think it's fantastic. It's a really, really wonderful um, repository. So in any case, uh, that is it. Um, Molly, let's get into an origin story. Um, how did you first get involved in theater and uh, where were you born and raised?
2: I was born in Hayward um, and we lived in Hayward. My parents like bounced around Hayward and Berkeley and then down to like Anaheim. And then eventually I grew up in Monterey, which is like where my grandparents are from. I lived there most of my life. That's where I started doing theater. I started doing regional theater at uh, Pacific Repertory Theater when I was in high school Mm because my high school didn't I went to like a really small high school that like didn't really have arts funding. So there wasn't really like any type of drama program. So my mom found like the pack rep was like two towns over, but she was like, Do you want to go do shows there? So I did theater there like most of my high school time. And like I'm still friends with all the people I've met there and became a theater major. I went to Berkeley, tried to figure out what my whole deal was in theater. I like bounced around from like costume design. Then I thought maybe I'll just research theater because I'm not a performer. And then I kind of found my way into playwriting with Philip Katanda. And he like really just like changed my world. Like wow, really is like yeah. such a mentor to me. And like, do, do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother. Okay.
1: Is he yeah. involved in theater at all or just you?
2: No, just me. He's a really good artist. They're like a really good girl graphic artist and kind of just he got all my mom's also a really talented artist she's really great at painting and I think he got all of her art genes
1: (laughs) yeah you know it's funny a lot of folks who get involved in theater they first want to you know I think as kids there are a lot of kids. I know for me, I had a lot of energy when I was a kid and I wanted to just perform and just get on stage or just, you know, have people look at me and I always think just knee jerk reaction that that's how everyone gets involved in theater. But you're one of those who you wanted to get involved in theater. But um,
2: is there a reason why you did not want to be on stage? I don't know. I don't know if it was like. Feeling self-conscious about like my own talent ability because I only really did musicals and if you can't sing like not much is happening for you and like I think I can carry a tune enough to like be in an ensemble and uh, there's a lot of dancers in my family and I think like I'm a pretty solid dancer and so like that made the experience really fun but I never really got to do like just straight plays and so I think that really like affected like what my view of theater and performing was and I kind of had this thought of like okay well I can't be a musical theater performer so I guess I can't be in theater like it wasn't until I got to college that I got to like read any like straight plays oh yeah like dramas and
1: things like that yeah do you do you tend towards drama or let's say comedy or do you get into some of the other things like um I'm thinking Ionesco or you know some of the like um Oh, shucks. Who wrote uh, um, No Exit? Um, Sartre?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you get into or do you you get into drama? I mean, what type of um, what type of theater sort of do you gravitate towards?
2: I tend to do a lot of I think as a whole, it's a lot of like family dramas, but it kind of is imbued with humor, which I kind of feel is very much like the Filipino experience is to kind of inject humor into everything, especially like in the serious and heavy situations to like always find lightness and laughter, even if it's a bit darker. And I think that's kind of carries itself through all of my plays.
1: Very, very cool. You mentioned Philippine theater. Um, you know, we, we talk at nauseum about Bindlestiff. Have you, did you, have you been in, have, do you know anything about Bindlestiff Studios?
2: Yeah, I, I've seen their shows and stuff. And like um, Conrad and I are actually from the same hometown. Conrad and Pencanaban. Yeah. Right on. Which was like wild. And when I first got, was like first looking at grad school and I got into SF State, I ended up getting connected to him where we found out that like we both grew up in Monterey and like both are Filipino playwrights. And so he introduced me to Stiff.
1: Very, very cool. Have you submitted anything to them or have you been involved in any of their things?
2: I've submitted to Stories High before and, um, you know, it didn't didn't work out. But like I still like support them and like watch all their shows.
1: Well, not yet. I mean, you know, I'm assuming assuming there's tons of people who do uh, submit to Stories High. Um, So what what was your experience um, studying
2: in college? Uh, Was it a good experience? It sounds like it was. It was, it was good for the most part. Like it took me a while to figure out being a theater major. I actually started out as a classics major. I like was really into mythology growing up also. And I, once I realized I couldn't be like a performer, I thought like, okay, maybe I'll be like a researcher and hated every second (laughs) of it. Like I actually ended up like my junior year was in Washington DC interning at a museum, which is what I thought I wanted to do with my life and was super, super miserable. And I was talking to the advisor of the like internship program I was doing. And she was like, well, you're taking our theater elective and I, why don't you ask the teacher if you can intern at his theater? And this um, was at Theater J which is a Jewish theater in Washington DC. So I asked him and he was like, sure you can come intern for us for like a couple months. And that is like where it all really clicked of like, hmm. oh, duh, I've loved theater my whole life. Why don't I try to be in theater? So then I came back to Berkeley and like really like channeled in as a theater major and tried out all the different classes to figure out where like my niche fit in. And like I took playwriting with uh, Philip Katanda, I think my senior year, my junior year. Whenever I took it with him, that's when like it all fell into place, and I feel like my theater trajectory like opened up in my eyes. Very, very nice. Mm. Now I have a
1: question, and it really doesn't deal with theater, but I'm just sure. curious um, because the theater, the Philippine community is so Catholic based. I mean, I had you know uh, I had a girlfriend who was Filipino, and the Philippines that I've talked to have you know almost always been Catholic or ever or probably agnostic or really not really religious at all what is it like being a filipino jewish person
2: it's really interesting because my mom my mom is still religious but i think of all of her family members she was like the least religious in terms of like imbuing it onto us like because my my dad is like jewish and like was raised like, very religiously Jewish, they both had this approach of, like, we'll let you figure out what you want, but, like, they were still very, like, open about their beliefs and their traditions, so we kind of, like, did both, like, grew up doing both Jewish and both, like, Christian Catholic holidays, and, like, my, when I'm with, like, my Filipino family, like, you know, we still have prayer over all the the meals, and, like, they, when I go to advice, they'll still point me in, like, directions of different like bible passages which don't necessarily like resonate with me in the same way but like as I've gotten older I think I've I've started to understand like religion more as like a way that it's shaped like my family's worldview Mm -hmm. and like how it's shaped their values and like how those values have like raised me and made me the person I am today so I've kind of started to like look at it less as, like, the religious aspect and more of, like, a practice that kind of guides their values and their worldview and kind of, like, their own guidance in life. And I think they've all really respected that as me as well. Like, I've I've had, like, aunts and stuff, like, ask me what my relationship with faith is. And I kind of tell them that, like, I don't really know. I kind of like the idea of bridging both together and, like, forming what I can of it. And, like, they've been been very respectful of it
1: yeah you know it's interesting. i'm going to bring norman in because i'm thinking about dexter you know uh norman I've, i i think you're i know that you're spiritual but let's say not totally religious and i know that Mara is jewish so with dexter i mean it does mar take the same path with dexter and say hey listen you know you follow find your own path
0: or yeah very be? much oh yeah. very much no she and to the point of you have to you know jewish you Sometimes when people say the word, they mean specifically religious. Sometimes they just mean cultural. You have to be very careful about what you're saying, because, you know, she'll push back quick. Oh, no, 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 I don't know about that. I don't care about that. It's like, well, you care about being Jewish. So, okay, you don't you know, you don't care about the the practice, the religious practice. And so no, he's been he's been free to do whatever. Yeah, I was talking to somebody about that the other day because Growing up in Oakland, it's such a mixed community. It's such a diverse community. I'm like, wow, when he gets out in the world, eh, that's going to be a wake-up call. Yeah, it's interesting with Dexter because he's he's mixed race.
1: You know, he's yep. half black, half white, yep. and also he's Jewish. So, you know, he's really, you know, he'll have to find his path. And maybe it's not something that he's really concerned about. And it's something that fascinates me about Judaism because it's not just a religion, you know. Like people can choose to be Christian or not, um, but if you're born Jewish, it's really a part of your. I mean, like I can't choose to be black; I am black. Um, right. So if you're born Jewish, it's not just a religious choice, but it's also you know your ethnicity, and I, I find that fascinating. Uh, I, Molly, do you find that part fascinating? Because you've written a play about oh, yeah. you know people. Dealing with their, uh, uh, you know, their ethnicity uh, as being Jewish.
2: No, that it's always something that I've, I'm like always thinking about, especially like having like cousins on my Jewish side who all have like different ethnic identities. So it's the idea of like, how do you form it in your head? Because like, to me, I feel the same way that like, I'm very culturally Jewish. Like I can't imagine like that part, like that my family without that part of like our identity and especially like my dad, like I can't imagine him just not being culturally Jewish. Like that's just who he is and like a part of how he was raised and just like a part of our family. And it's just like when I, it feels just as rich to me as like my Filipino side and identifying as Filipino. And it's like, it's just, yeah, it's always something I've wrestled with, especially like when I was writing this play of like, yeah, how do you define yourself as Jewish. Cause it's, it is, in, it is very complex in that you can kind of decide if you're culturally Jewish, are you spiritually Jewish? Do you practice like religiously? And it's like, I don't know, it's so complex. And like, that's always fascinated me because I feel like I'm always on this like flexible journey of like where I fall spiritually. And like, becoming open to the idea of like, I don't know where I will be as I grow older in my identity. Yeah, and like how I relate.
1: Yeah, it is fascinating. And, you know, thinking on the playwright's perspective, when you're writing characters, who come from because it, you know, it's interesting. There are a lot of people who hang out with people from the same culture from the same either race or whatever, like, you know, like you go to a baseball game, everyone speaks. Yeah, we're all Giants fans, or you mm-hmm. go to, you know, a you know, everyone's sort of, there There are people who want, people who speak their own language and do their own thing. And what happens when, let's say, you find yourself as an outsider, you know, you may be Filipino, but you're Jewish. Even if you hang around, let's say, a Jewish community, you're also an out-
2: outsider. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that way sometimes? Oh, I felt that way my whole life, especially mm-hmm. because, like, my my dad's family is in St. Louis. And I'm, I've been born and raised in California. That's where my mom's family settled down when they came to America. And like, I grew up living with my grandparents and then grew up. And like, after we moved out of my grandparents' house, we lived with my mom's brother. So I always felt like very immersed with my fil- Filipino family, but also very aware that I don't look Filipino. And like, it's always been like a joke, like a loving joke within the family that I like look white. But I think after like a lot of years that like really (laughs) sunk into me and especially like where I grew up, I was the only Jewish kid. Like my dad would come to like my elementary school, like every year to like teach everyone about Hanukkah because like there just were not other Jews. And so I kind of always felt a bit of an outsider kind of in both spaces because I never felt like fully Jewish because I didn't really grow up around any jews but then didn't really feel fully filipino because i didn't like look like any filipinos Mm. like when i went to berkeley like i went i visited when i was a senior because they one of like the filipino student groups like um brought in all the filipino incoming seniors to come toward the campus and like have like filipino students like show them around and i was like one of the first to show up and like they didn't like recognize I was with their group at first. Like I had to go up to mm, them and be mm, like,
1: "Yeah, yeah,
2: Hey, I'm, I'm registered with you. Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally hear you. I, I had a question for you as a playwright. I mean, uh, we're talking about, you know, let's say different cultures or whatever, and people who speak, let's say different languages, different rhythms as a writer. And this is something that I ask all writers who come on the yay. How, what is your method for finding a different voice? How do you write? Uh, about how do you write a character that sounds different or feels different? Let's say you have to write a male character. You're not male, you're female. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is your technique that you use?
2: Something I kind of have been doing, like literally since the first class I ever, like the first playwriting class I ever took was, I remember this, like Professor Katanda was just like, write a monologue from the point of view that someone is not you. And so I just chose my brother and like wrote a monologue about how I thought about how he viewed painting. And then like next he was like, okay, write a different monologue of like someone responding to them that is also not you. And I think like that really settled like deeply into my practice of like, so I tend to start out with monologues when I'm trying to figure out who a character is. And I try to let them just like tell me their stream of consciousness of what they're thinking about something. And like, I I will sometimes end up like trimming it and taking lines here or there, or sometimes I'll end up keeping the whole thing. But a lot of times it ends up like cut from the script, but it was like a way for me to at least get a look into their brain and kind of figure out like how they're speaking to me.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I was just thinking, um, have you had any of your, have you had to deal with, um, Have you any of your plays produced? Let's say, even, you know, like in school or like one acts or anything like that?
2: Yeah, I've had, um, I have had like short plays with Playground. I did um, Best of Playground, like I think in 2019. And I've had like, um, which play? Which play? It was called After Hubris. Mm -hmm. um, And which was my first year in Playground. So I was like, Uh, whoa. Right away. Cool. Um, and, and then and, like I've had like different readings and workshops at like different theaters and stuff.
1: Yeah. In the bay. I was going to ask, what is the interaction but that that you have, let's say, between you and the director or you and other actors? Like, let's say a director may say, well, I don't see where, you know, has it been good or has it been st- stressful? I know the first time that I ever did a reading of, of one of my plays, I was told, oh, you got to change this. You got to change that. I don't understand why this character is saying this. I don't even understand why the character is here. And sometimes it can be a bit of a beating, but it's something that I need because I need to rewrite. Um, how has that interaction been for you?
2: I think I've been pretty fortunate for the most part in that I've been able to work with like really supportive directors oh why did my phone my laptop just go um so sorry i thought i had everything go off okay um i've had like really supportive directors who like have been able to phrase their feedback to me in forms of questions (laughs) and that like oh i'm like struggling to understand why they're acting this way or like why they're saying this Mm -hmm. and that has like in a way that I'm able to take it and not get hurt. I used to worry that I was too sensitive about like, yeah. <laughs> like feedback. I There was like um, at one point in grad school that I had some like feedback that like, I went home and like cried about it and like worried that I was like, Oh no, am I might not cut out for this. But I think, I think something that like I learned throughout grad school is how to like listen to feedback. And maybe that's something I learned from Michelle Carter is that, Oh, like, Dang, yeah, I funny. love her so much. Like, I think I learned from her is to like when people are giving you feedback, like on the surface level, listen to what they're saying, but then on a deeper level, ask yourself, is this the reaction you want the audience to be having? Like, is this the questions you want them to be asking about this character or this scene? And if the answer is no, then what do you need to change to have them have the reaction that you want? Which has helped me kind of like separate from feedback that like might like evoke a react like some type of feeling out of me like Mm -hmm. if they're saying like well I don't like this character because of when they say this and then I'll think about it and I'm like okay is that the is that how I want them to think of that character right now in the scene
0: I just had a playwright um send me a play and ask me for feedback and I finally said well what are you looking for in the feedback what what were you hoping that I would be able to tell you
2: <laughs> which is sometimes a hard question I feel like when I first started I'd be like I don't know <laughs> I'd be like I don't know what I'm looking for it. like for feedback because I think when you start out you just want to be at least for me I was like I don't know I just want to know if it's good or not I don't really know anything right deeper than that and I think it took like it actually is like something you have to do a lot of learning to like learn what you're actually like looking for like Mm -hmm. i'm meeting with a dramaturg and a director later um for from san diego rep and like i'm starting to like think about like okay i need to like go in with what i want like to know from the dramaturg, like mm-hmm. when they're looking at my script. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Norman,
1: is it your responsibility to be nice to? Because I know you've worked a lot <laughs> with uh, <laughs> with playwrights. I'm thinking specifically Jeannie Baroga, because you and her have a
0: wonderful uh, relationship where you can be a little rough with Jeannie. You can say I, Jeannie, I don't know. I don't know if she would describe it that way. <laughs> um, more than once we have bumped heads and she said, I don't know why you're coming at me that way. And I'm like, oh, OK let me take the feelings out of this and try to express what I'm feeling, but, um, but not, you know, not have it rooted in, I hate this or this is, this is stupid. (laughs) You know, there are other ways to say, I'm not seeing the connection between these. So you've got this going on and this going on. I don't see the connection. I feel like it jumps. Do you get what I'm saying? (laughs) And yeah, no, I've, the polite thing so far, I
1: because sometimes it can be, you know, being too polite may not help the playwright because sometimes the playwright may need, you know, direct constructive criticism saying, listen, well, this isn't going to
0: work. I would say the base thing that I've, I've recognized in working with playwrights is you really can't tell them what to do. They're going to figure out what they want to do and that's what they're going to do. So, what you're really doing is just feeding back. You're a mirror. You're just sort of saying, Oh, I got your baby. And wow, okay, that's big head on your baby. You know, (laughs) I mean, you find ways to comment on it without, you know, trying to keep it from being feeling like a personal attack. But, you know, let them know that structurally, maybe there's some things going on. Or the play that I just read um, is a historical piece. So it captures all it connects the little dots of these histories. So, you know, that this was then, and then this is 10 years later and then this is a year later and then this is six months later and on and on like that. You totally follow that. But you lose the sense of arc. You lose the sense that the character is going on a journey. It's more like this happened to the character. This happened to the character. This happened to the character. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ah, it's kind of episodic, was the word I ended up using. It reminds because, me. Go ahead. Because the feedback I got was, oh, um, well, yeah, you know, I'm hoping I can do more with it. And that was when I came back with the well, so what were you hoping to hear from me? You know, what would be useful for you to hear right now from me? Because I, I kept saying the character's fascinating. I don't feel and she and I kept what I kept doing was grabbing every piece of her language and feeding it back. So she said something about the transitions. And I said, we don't get to see the character experience the transitions. And I don't know if you want to do something with that or not, but I feel like that's a missed opportunity that we go through literally about a dozen points in this character's life without ever seeing how point A moved them to point B moved them to point C. We just, I'm in point A. Well, I used to be in point A. Now I'm in point B. Now I'm in point C. Like, is there any sense of some movement in the character? Yeah. You know, it reminds me of uh, Maddie May by written by Jeannie.
1: You yeah. know, Jeannie has a lot of episodic ev- episodes. And basically it's about a um, I think it's a restaurant, which is yeah. in Oakland and back in, yeah. you know, Richmond. Uh, three- yeah, I'm sorry, Richmond in um, just post-World a World War. I think it's it post was World the War end II. of World War II, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But the cool thing of that uh, Jeannie does, she has one central character that sort of all the other characters sort of revolve around. So that you yeah. do have these episodic episodes of, let's say there's a love story that's happening here. It's an old man, young man thing that's right. happening here. But Maddie, right, exactly, yeah. the work site, the politics. Um, but there's one person who's in the middle of it all, who sort of pushes everything forward. And there is one central plot. So the audience has something to follow.
0: Yeah. No, and, and that's not always what a playwright wants to do. So rather than saying, I see how this could work this way and offer that up to the playwright, which may not be useful to them. The playwright may want a character who had all kinds of experiences. And if there's a moment of discovery, Maybe it doesn't happen until the end of that journey. I don't I don't know. There's all kinds of ways to do it. It may be that that person somehow never changed. If you see um, Being There, the beautiful movie with Peter Sellers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. That character goes through the whole play, almost never responding to anything. You barely cracks a smile. At one point, he has a tear. You know, it just and at the end of the movie, he steps out into the street. Sort of takes in the world the way he always does and steps away. Forrest Gump, similar kind of thing. You yeah, mostly uh, don't see the character changing much. You just see time, how they navigate it through time. Yeah, for those millennials uh, being
1: there, I think was done in 76 with Peter Sellers is very much a, um, a 70s version of Forrest Gump. Uh, there was also it reminds me of a uh, Rain Man, uh, Dustin yeah. Hoffman and Tom Cruise. Molly, I want to bring you back in. It sounds like when you write a play, do you think character first or plot first, or does Ooh. it depend on the play?
2: It tends to be character because when I start a play, I usually will have like an image in my mind, like a like a physical image of my mind. Like, um, like with what we found, it was like an image of like three people in a garage sorting stuff so I just like started there and I usually Mm -hmm. like I tend to start in the middle of like whatever image I have going on or like um, my other play Nanai like I had this image of like sisters baking in a kitchen so I think like it's that's almost a mix of character and plot because it's like oh there's some characters doing something what are they doing and why are they doing it
1: yeah It, it takes me back to when I was in school where a director will say well listen A character has to be doing something, you know, you have an objective. And if you don't fulfill the objective, then, you know, bad things will happen. You know, the stakes have to be high. And so I think as a uh, an actor, I'm always looking when I get a play. Okay, what's the objective? What is my character? What do I need to do? And what are the consequences if I don't do it? and, you know, there's some plays where, let's say, the plot is not so strong. So that's why I asked you if there is a strong plot. Do you make sure that the character, whoever the character may be, has an objective that they need to do?
2: Oh, yeah, I usually tend to, especially because I tend to start in the middle of a character doing something. It's that like, OK, well, I need to figure out, like, why they're doing this. And usually the process of, of unraveling why they're there is kind of what unravels the plot and And the objective like both the short-term objective in the scene like um in the player I was talking about then I like I figured out that like the sisters are baking and the objective of them baking is like one is trying to distract the other from something and then like the larger plot became like okay what is she trying to distract her from and like kind of like unburied the story from there
1: Oh, very cool. No, yeah, that that that's fantastic. And it sounds like the audience, they don't even realize what's really, really going on until the middle part of the play. Now, and I think that's fantastic. Um, business, well, uh, so one question I have is, how do your parents feel about you getting involved in uh, theater? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're like, oh my God, you know. That was
0: you, a big question. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they're, they're really proud. They're like, I'm very lucky in that, like, whatever, like, my brother and I have wanted to do our whole lives, they'll always, like, dive in for like headfirst of like okay we got you like when i was like a kid and i was like i want to be an astronaut they were like okay we'll take you to the sally Ride festival and like really like what they're very much people of like okay if this is what you're into like we're gonna you're gonna dive into it and you're really gonna be into it which is like which is so great to have them be so supportive but then i think it really like it make you i feel like it makes you like have to be certain of like what you want to do then, because they're like, all right, well, we're going to support you if this is what you want.
1: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And also the, I guess the business part of playwriting. I mean, um, a lot of us have day jobs so that we can do our playwriting while we actually pay the bills and all that sort of stuff. But have you thought about, I guess, you know, how you, I guess your playwriting career, I mean, do you want to Produced for Broadway do you want to transition into film and television where do you see yourself uh, in the future
2: that's what I'm like kind of trying to figure out now and I feel like 2020 like threw all like threw everything up in the air for me because I think I, I started going to grad school with the idea of like okay well then I can become a teacher and like I can teach theater or teach playwriting like while I support my writing and then I graduated last year in May twenty twenty, which was like okay, nothing's happening, (laughs) like right. And so, um, and like I had had like day jobs in fundraising in like nonprofit fundraising. So I kind of it made me look longer term at the picture of like okay, well maybe it's not the worst thing if I have like a full time day job to support me because I can be safe during current and possible future global pandemics (laughs) like like I think that the idea of like stability became a huge thing for me last year and like I think I had a very like narrow trajectory of like okay I'm gonna just teach writing teach playwriting and work in writing and only really saw myself as a playwright and I think like having to like be a pandemic writer opened me up a little bit to think of like okay what are other things i like to write and like maybe dream a little bigger and like watching like all these like different documentaries of like playwrights who became tv writers or who became like film writers like i was watching like a disney plus documentary of um the guy who wrote soul the new pixar movie yeah and he was like yeah i started as a playwright and then i wrote for Star Trek and now I'm writing this movie and I was like well that's my dream trajectory because I'm like a lifelong Star Trek uh-huh. fan like I Me would too. love to would love to write for Star Trek like I I'm in a constant state of rewatching Next Generation
1: Ah, oh, that's funny <laughs> you should get into the original series those are some fun I stuff.
2: did <laughs> I my when the pandemic started I was like I'm gonna watch I grew up watching the original series uh, uh-huh. and Next Gen with my parents because they're huge Trekkies Right. And then when, like, the pandemic was starting, I was like, okay, I'm going to rewatch the whole show all the way through, like, original series, next-gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. I'm going to do it all. And then I've just been rewatching next-gen because I love it too much.
1: You know, it's interesting. With Star Trek, I mean, it's it's fascinating how certain periods or certain eras of our time reflect, um, influence writers. So yeah. a lot of... um. You know, the original series was written in the late 1960s, so it was influenced by the 60s generation, the hippie generation. And you do have a lot of writers who wrote for Rod Serling, um, who wanted to take science fiction, but talk about social issues that were going on at during the time. Um, and then, of course, in the 80s, you have a, a lot of, you know, CGI. And so CGI sort of dominated the next generation, like, you know, the what's happening with the uh, what is it, the hologram and, and mm-hmm. all of that sort of stuff. Mm. So I wonder, you know, you mentioned writing in a post-COVID-19 um, or COVID-19. I, I just wonder how playwrights are being influenced by COVID-19 and the isolation and having to be forced to write for Zoom, Um, you know, there's some who are like, well, the hell with it. I'm just going to write and not deal with Zoom at all. Some who have really transitioned into, okay, I'm going to write specifically for Zoom. And therefore it's more um, dialogue-based. So there's Mm -hmm. not a lot of action because it's not like you can do via Zoom. Have you had to make that sort of
2: transition? Um, I've tried. I, I took the start of pandemic very hard as a writer. Like I had a really tough time trying to adjust to zoom writing like I I I feel like I um everything kind of shut down when I was in my last semester of grad school and I was kind of like in the middle of starting a new play that like I thought was going to be like a more traditional stage play and I had this idea of like combining like because I, I, I'm a very big like tabletop Dungeons and Dragons player. So I was originally working on this idea of like a group of friends who are playing their game and it's like a hybrid of like their game world and their real world. And it, I had this idea of like, you know, an in-person stage play and I spent a long time of like, okay, well maybe that can work for Zoom because it can be very like, di- it can be very dialogue based and like, I just struggled with it for so long that I had to take like four months off of not writing at all just because I don't know the way I describe it to like other theater people is like I feel like I got I picked theater as my medium for a reason is because I really thrive on the in-person energy of theater and like the connection of an audience and the actors like being in the same room and I was really like struggling with how to replicate that connection on a screen and like I just I took a break for a long time and then got lucky that I had all these opportunities come for like zoom readings for plays I had already written and so like that's been my window back into theater and now I don't know (laughs) I'm like I, I feel like I'm being very stubborn of like holding out of like maybe I don't have to write for virtual theater but at the same time I think virtual theater is very empowering for how accessible it is to so many yeah. different audiences. And so like, I feel like I'm at a crossroads of trying to figure out what I do next.
0: Well, yeah. it's, it's a wild time for it. Um, I just had a conversation with a couple of theater people last night and, and uh, Central Works, Jan, actually. Jan Leifler. Studio. Yeah. And, um, We were talking and she asked and Richard, actually, we were were all together having a chat, which is so weird to be in the world where you can actually hug somebody and go, (laughs) hi, it's good to see you. But we were talking about it and she asked him point blank. How do you feel about she said she hated Zoom theater. He said he did, too. And she and I have already had that conversation. She said, what do you think of audio theater? And he said he didn't really like that either. And so I pointed out, it's not about what you're going to do in the long run. It is, these are the opportunities that you have right now. So I was t- talking about site-specific theater doing, because she also said, I don't really like outdoor theater. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't like putting everything outdoors. No. But at a time when you can't really safely do things indoors, you might want to dust off those old ideas you had about, well, wouldn't it be really cool if we could do this next to a tree? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And like, I saw a site specific Julius Caesar in Golden Gate Park, and I thought I Mm wouldn't like outdoor theater, but that it like rocked my world in terms of like outdoor theater of the idea of like, it of it being immersive and like taking advantage of the space and like moving throughout the park and like, like, oh, like it, it can be really fun if you like, have the right approach to it, which, you know, right approach is very subjective to each person
0: but well no it's going to be each one my wife was trombonist on that production
2: oh it was so much fun I she yeah, got I, a kick
0: because they did two things they did two they did a Julius Caesar but they did something else to sort of respond to it
2: oh wow
0: it was funny you were mentioning documentaries I just
1: I just recently watched a documentary on Hemingway Ken Burns did a thing on Hemingway and there was a portion where, I guess, a Hemingway was really struggling as a writer, and he's in a new era, I guess the 1950s or the 60s, and there are people just you know leapfrogging over him. And he took a long, long hiatus and wrote Old Man and the Sea. Which uh, you know oh, uh, blew yeah. everyone's minds, and I think you want to pull prize and whatever. So I right. I say to myself because I'm sort of in the same boat as you, Molly. I have written a bunch of things for Zoom, but I really don't. You know, Zoom doesn't. You know, it's only as good as the bandwidth, and it's as good as you know, people watching things from a from a camera on your on your laptop or whatever. But I've resolved to just writing for the future. You know, let's say I can't write for the stage right now, or anything to be do, produced right now, but it will in the future. So, you know, sort yeah. of like Hemingway, you know, I'm just going to focus on you know writing if it's going to be a year from now or whatever it's going to be. Eventually, stage will open up, and something needs to be produced, and so I'm just yeah, preparing yeah, preparing for that future. Oh, there's yeah. going to
0: be a bunch of folks with <clears throat> stuff on the shelf. <laughs>
1: Exactly, exactly. It reminds me of my grandma, my late grandmother, who would have, uh, she had an orange, she had an apple tree in her uh, farm. And so she would load up, she would have all these, Um, I don't know, people do pickling anymore, or people jar things yeah. anymore. Oh, oh, I
2: just pickled some red onions yesterday. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah.
1: Wow, a millennial who pickles, you know, it's, <laughs> But my, my grandmother would have just a shelf full of apples, 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 apples. And, you know, just in the future, she would fix apple cider apple butter apple pie apple juice just apple whatever and she would have that shelf so we have a shelf full of plays and ideas that you know that will produce in the future
2: (laughs) yeah Um, and and like I in that like similar vein of like I when I finally was like okay I'm gonna kind of start to get back into writing I went and looked at what was already on the shelf of like you know drafts that I had just pushed away didn't feel compelled at the time and like okay Maybe I'll come back to it with fresh eyes. Cause like, what else am I doing right now? I got the time. Mm-hmm.
1: Right, right, exactly. Um, we're we're hitting close to the one hour mark. So I guess you know, um, video doesn't really um, impress you, Molly, or you're not like I, a lot of kids are doing. Um, kids, a lot of folks are doing like YouTube videos and Vimeo and that sort of stuff. Have you thought about that at all?
2: I'm I'm kind of like trying to like push my boundaries. I just wrote. A radio play for awesome theater um yeah and that was actually like so much more fun than i not that i thought it wasn't gonna be fun but like i got a lot more fulfillment and joy out of it than i thought so now it's like oh okay well like i do like writing radio writing radio plays so i feel like that's maybe like where i'm going next with it because i think the idea of not trying to force the visual over video is somehow freeing for me
0: is that um is that Anthony Miller? Yeah, awesome yeah. Player? Oh my, we should have him on Ridge at some point. Yeah, he, if you can grab. Uh, him. He does a lot of stuff uh, with Piano Fight. Nice. Yeah. So you know, it's funny. He and I, he would sit in the lobby while I was doing some shows there, and we started talking. And he's just like, "We're doing this and we're doing that." And the idea, the base idea of you can have a beer and go see this show seems a little goofy but no he's really serious about making great theater but he wants it accessible in that way yeah yeah
1: yeah that's that's the way it should be well all right i want to be respectful of people's time
0: um shout outs birthdays not many so apparently this is the time of year nine months ago people just aren't having sex (laughs) because I've got a very short list this week. Speaking of Uh, which, you know, did you hear that
1: California has as uh, we have a lower population than we've ever had in I don't know seventy whatever years?
0: Yeah, ever they said California has always grown. This is the first year California shrank. To which I say, yay! Stop (laughs) complaining about overpopulation (laughs) and cities burgeoning, and then suddenly when it's not happening, you're like, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to get through this I, and I we're all going to be happier for a little more space. I just don't want to lose any more congressional seats. That's all that that's true. Don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, my short list today, Tim Hart is um, an actor who I didn't really know. He did a lot of stuff in the South Bay. And when we did Buffalo, Jeannie Baroga's Buffalo down at uh, San Jose stage, he auditioned for the show and I just found him to be so wonderful. And then a couple of summers ago when I did SF Shakes, he was understudying the Dukes. in as you like it, both in Duke Senior and Duke Frederick. And um, and then they had him as sort of helping. I think it was I've done that with them before where I'm understudying, but I'm also sort of an extra set of hands for moving the show around from park to park. Um, Anyway, he was back in and I was just so thrilled. So anyway, his birthday is coming up. Uh, Joshua Hahn is was a young man I met. Um, when I got to do the Noodle Factory, this brief moment in Oakland theater history when there was a new performance space and then the 2008, you know, crash. Oh, the crisis, yeah, crash. Yeah, yeah, and so everything went away. Um, he was part of another theater company that was coming in and they were becoming a regular and I was like, I could totally, I was running the space so I could totally envision watching these theater companies grow and I did get to see that company go on to do more stuff. Anyway, Josh Hahn was one of their crew uh, J.R. Lewis, and you have to put the R in there because John Lewis is just too common a name. Uh, but he was, among other things, our bottom, no, not bottom, flute, and uh, the king, Theseus, in Midsummer Night's Dream that I did a couple of years ago. With the They were called the Arabian Shakespeare Company. They are now called the Perspective Theater. And we're in dialogue about what that means and where they're going next with it. So we'll see. Uh, But uh, John is not just a wonderful actor, comic, wonderfully comic actor. Um, He's also a director. So you may see his name around in that way. Nicole Foster. Um, One of the early lessons I learned as a director, as a producer director, is you're going to see pretty girls and you're just going to have to go, okay, turn off that part of my brain. Yep. Keep focused on the work. And Nicole was one of the first ones that I had to learn that lesson with. I'm like, gosh, she is cute. Um, But she's also a powerful actress and I believe she is still doing stuff uh, because that was a long time ago. And then the final one I have is Rob Melrose, who was the uh, founder of Custom Cutting Ball, not custom made Cutting Ball Theater in San Francisco. And he's gone on. I think he's running something in New York now. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, Cutting Ball goes on, but Rob has moved on to bigger and better things. Those are my birthdays for the week.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, who is the the current person who runs, we had her on, who runs uh, Cutting Ball?
0: I don't really know her name. I know who you're talking about, though. Okay, okay, uh, never
1: mind. Uh, So today, uh, Joe Jordan, his birthday is today. Uh, He's a magnificent actor. Uh, I stage-managed him at Central Works. Uh, It was... There a couple of clicks and buttons. Okay,
0: I'm being distracted. But in any oh, yeah. case, um, the- um, I've got sound coming through upstairs. The boy is taking a shower. Okay, Which he always That's does okay. with loud music, sorry.
1: Mesmeric Revelation. That's the production that Joe Ooh. Jordan was in along with Theo Black. And that was at Central Works. And that was in 2012. And I still remember it. It was uh, just a magnificent performance. And Joe Jordan, he leaves uh, in LA now. But in case, his birthday is today. Along with Gianna Capozzi. Who was one of the youngest persons to appear on the Yay? She was 16 years old, Jeez. I believe, when she was on. And she and I and her sister, um, oh, I forget, Isabella, were in uh, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And that was uh, done at the Town Hall Theater, directed by Don Monique Williams. It was a wonderful performance. Um, so, Gianna, her birthday is today. She's 18. Uh, let's see. I have uh, Brenna Kimmerly. I wrote a little musical, mini musical called Nia, and Brenna Kimberly was in that, and uh, she's a fantastic actress in the Bay Area. Her birthday will be May the 10th. Also May the 10th, Dennis Jeter III. He is a trombonist. He used to be a promoter for, I think he was the manager for Wynton Marcellus. Uh, He and I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and his birthday is on uh, the 10th. Also on the 10th, Identical twin brothers, Christopher and Michael Simons. Both are actors. Uh, one uh, one of them was in, uh, I, was, I participated in a group called the ISIS Arts Collective, uh, headed up by the late Mike Ward. And uh, Christopher mm-hmm. Simons was in, it was a production called uh, The Savage. Uh, great comic actor. Tall, really tall. I mean, he's basketball tall, like six feet four, huh. I think. Uh, both, both the brothers. So in any case, his birthday is on the 10th. Uh, Emmanuel Romero, he's a Philippine actor. Uh, he's a bindle Stiffer. His birthday is on May the 12th. May the 13th, another person who graduated uh, from Duke Ellington along with me, Gary Henderson. Um, I don't think he's doing theater anymore. He uh, became a military man, uh, served our country, and I uh, thank him for his service. May the 13th, al- also May the 13th, Gina Valeria. Uh I believe she was a director. Uh she was involved with uh, EastEnders. That was a company that I was involved with a long time ago. I have no idea what she's doing these days, but happy birthday, Gina. That's May the 13th. May the 14th, Nick Bain. Nick Bain was in um Oh shucks. My memory's gone bad. Um, yeah. um Texas, Texas Chainsaw Musical. Oh wow. Uh <laughs> which was at uh it uh, we did a um at the oh, big tour, yeah? um the Willows. The Willows Theater did. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, This is a back while in the back. Day. And also uh, we did a uh, oh shucks. It's at the Exa theater the uh, what is that? The French Festival. We yes. did that at the French Festival. That's how I met Nick. Fantastic actor. I'm not sure what he's doing these days. And one last Ellingtonite who also graduated with me, Mark Bollinger. I call him the caveman. He and I were tight, tight friends. Uh he was an artist. Uh, visual artist and uh, he and I graduated uh, at the same time and his birthday is May the 14th also became a career um Navy guy uh also in the uh, armed services. In now case, why
0: the caveman?
1: I don't know why he called yeah. uh, well you know the commercial uh you know the uh the cartoon Captain Caveman he was a wild guy. <laughs> oh
0: okay. <laughs>
1: and being in a predominantly black school he was a white guy and I guess oh. you know there are all sorts of psychological things that go on but you yep. know, he he found his niche in um, in the arts and he and I were really, really close friends. And he and I still talk to this day. So uh, in any the case, there's that um, show.
0: Ariel Kraft was the um, is that the person that we interviewed? Kraft? No, I don't think so. Ariel. Ariel. No, I don't Maya, think so. Maya Herbsman. Maya Herbsman. Yes. Okay. Associate Artistic Director.
1: Yeah, and actually, she's also the uh, the, um, the intimacy coach. Oh yay! Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was a good episode. Uh, any shows? I've got a couple of shows, but uh, I'll let you go first.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, I'm not. Well, I do have a couple of shows. Um, couple. I have a mixed bag of things. So uh, there's my. Uh, The uh, playwright, the workshop that I'm going to do for Play Cafe, Directors, Your Baby's Nursemaid. I'm going to talk about what it means to be working with a director when you're a playwright. Uh, That'll be on June 6th at four o'clock, and I can put you links to this stuff in there. Uh, Richard Talavera actually got to do an interview with, oh gosh, I'm going to, Suze Allen, um, who is a local playwright and coach and theater artist and 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 she also does this thing now where she's highlighting different local playwrights so richard was uh interviewed this week and we did a small clip from his play the last breath um so that was kind of fun so i'm sending you the link for that and then um the oakland theater project don troop uh, said please you know remind people they've got uh the wasteland t.s Eliot's the wasteland they've done an adaptation of that and that is up through May 16th. And then um, coming up at the end of the month, they're gonna start a whole another project. And I've got information for that when we get there. Um, the Wasteland, so what company's doing that? Uh, that's the Oakland Theater Project. And here, I will I will give you all of that and you can just copy it out of the... Uh... Cool. So uh, Montalvo
1: Arts, they are doing Love, Lost and What I Wore. Basically, uh, a bunch of women, uh, the characters are women who are talking about the loves and the losses that they've had in life and uh, the dresses that they have wore. And uh, Eko Yamamoto is in the play. Yes. That'll be May the 12th through the 15th, 6 through 7, 30 p.m. I'll have a link to that. Shoot Me When. That is a, um, I believe it's a film by our uh, friend Ruben Grijalva. Ruben Grahalva, It's at the, no, it's at the um, S- have Playhouse. That's right. Exactly. Streaming May the 1st through the 27th. And yeah. I'll have a link to that. Our House, uh, written by Th- Teresa Rebecca. Uh, Deborah Cortez and Terrence Smith is in that. That'll be May the 10th. Wow. 7 p.m. via Zoom. I think it's only one day. And I don't know the company, but they have a link. So um, Stories High 2012 workshop. We've talked about that. Um, Conrad Paganaman is doing a, um, a workshop on playwriting. Uh, Renabeth Apostle is doing a uh, workshop on acting, and Leeling Ao, and we've had her on. She's doing a um, a piece on directing, and so I have a link to that as well. I believe that ends on June the twenty fourth, so you mm-hmm. can still sign up. Yeah. Occupant by Edward Albee. Uh, the production oh. is Too Soon Old Productions, directed by our friend Letitia Duarte. Uh, huh. uh that'll be May the 22nd, 23rd, and then 29th and 30th. So two weekends and I'll yeah. have a, uh, apparently there's no email. I'm sorry. There's oh. no, uh, video, there's no link, but there is an email. So you have to email to, to buy a ticket. Theater first is doing uh, more than grapes. Uh, I wonder if that's still going on. Maybe that's old. Um, this is uh, Jeffrey Lowe is part of this project uh, exploring the lead up to the Delano grape strike through the legacies of H- Sheja Chavez, Dolores Huerta and Larry Itlong. Do I have anything else? I think that's it.
0: Uh, there's best of playground and uh, and when you said the 29th I realized ah I'm directing for best of playground and that's coming up. Um, wow, that's weird. Is that last year's? Ah, here it is. Yes. Um, So I'll get that link and I'll put that in for you, too. Uh, The 29th and the 30th, seven o'clock, the best of the last season, the best are the six plays that were nominated as the best of the last season. Of course, you're always encouraged to make your own choices around that. But I'm directing um, Sasha and the Angelier, which is a funny title for a play, but it's a lot of fun very nice
2: molly did you enjoy yourself today oh i did this is really fun really fun first podcast
1: yeah 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 thank you so much for being on and uh the best of luck to your future i just have a feeling that you know every time we have uh young actors and directors and playwrights i just have a feeling years and years from now we're going to hear from them in the future and i get that vibe from you so well thank you very much so okay as we are um if you're listening to this on our um On our podcast app, we have our podcast app, but you may be watching this on YouTube. So we have our YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe. Give us a thumbs up and uh, give us some comments in our comment sections. Uh, Let us know what you like and what you don't like. And if you have any shows that you want to advertise, let us know. That's how I find out about these things. When people let me know what shows they're going to be doing. if you're just listening to us on our traditional podcast, then you can find us on any podcast app. If you're an iPhone user, there's that purple podcast app that you can listen to us on. And uh, we're on Spotify as well. If you're an Android user, you could use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and find us. The Yay was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm at Reg space Clay. And i who's your Hoosier. Molly, do you have any social media that people can follow you on?
2: Yeah, I'm on Instagram at molly.o.k, my initials. I'm curious, <laughs> <enough>. where does <laughs> Olus come from? Uh, Olus is, um, that's my mom's maiden name. So that's like my Filipino family's last name.
0: I, I don't think I've ever heard the name before. I like it.
2: <laughs> I have not either. <laughs> so I feel like we're like the only ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Did you say that was Instagram, Molly? Okay, perfect. And I guess you don't do Twitter.
2: Not really. Not really as like a theater person. I'm just on there to like see what my friends are doing.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I totally hear you. And uh, so uh, for those potential um, um, producers, uh, you know, owners of theater companies, if you're looking for a uh, budding playwright, you can't go wrong with Molly. And so hit her up that's it thank you so much it's a wonderful day outside you know hopefully everyone will enjoy yourselves and of course happy mother's day i my mom got, oh, my, right. got flowers and uh molly i wish uh your mom um and your family a uh, happy mother's day thank you and um please wish mara a happy mother's day as well <laughs> and with that as norman and i always Hello, say <laughs> go. I ah, there you, ready it, to go right, right on see you, you're right on top of it All right. Thank you so much, folks. And as Norman and I always say, we got to find a better better sign off. -off. (laughs) And we
2: are out.